welcome once again to Bowie vs. Dylan. I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. And I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. Uh, the point of the show is to is to basically determine one of time's greatest, history's greatest questions. Who is better, David Bowie or Bob Dylan? Um, I feel like the choice is pretty clear, and that it's Bob Dylan, but Jake somehow disagrees. And uh, we're going to get to the bottom of this one podcast at a time. So today, we are taking a look at the magical year of 1969. That's right, Chaz. Into the 60s, uh, a big year for Bowie. Dylan probably did something as well. I guess we'll find that out soon. <laughs> uh, before we get too far into it, I want to do a little shout-out, because it's their third show, and I've been using this book a lot. I have a shout-out to the book, The Complete David Bowie by Nicholas Pegg. It's a big, whopping, like, 800-page book. I have the most recent edition. There's, like, seven or eight editions, which is just on top of it. tells you how great it is. But uh, it's been instrumental. I've been using tons of stuff online and different books and stuff as well, but this is my number one resource. So, nice one, Nicholas Pegg. Keep it coming. I'll be there for the 8th edition. That's it. Hey, thanks, Nicholas Pegg. (laughs) Thanks, Nick Pegg. I also thank you, Nick P. I didn't get it. Nick P. No, no good. All right, Jake, I think you're kicking it off this time, right? Tell us a little about Dylan's sweet, sweet swinging sound of 69. I want to tell you about that, and I want you to picture yourself, Chaz. I want you to... (laughs) Are you really going to do this every single time? I want you to picture yourself... The year is 1969, and even better, you're Bob Dylan. Okay, <laughs> okay. here's I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a do little. Do I have a mini? Do I have a mini fro? Mini white boy fro? Um, at this point, you're a, you always do because you're Bob Dylan, <laughs> but it's a little bit like slicked back a little bit. You're okay, you're right. a family man now. You have gotten off the road. You had a dubious motorcycle crash. You have released John Wesley Harding, which was your first album since then. The motorcycle crash in 1968 and the year is 1969 what do you do i'm going to give you a multiple choice a <laughs> okay you're bob dylan a yeah okay release a fiery scorched earth brutally honest rock and roll takedown of nixon's america no no they, no well you haven't heard the other choices yet. probably not okay b you double down on the bare bones, biblical, allegorical, and intelligent songwriting of John Wesley Harding. Only this time, you utilize any one of the 166 unused songs from the Basement Tapes that you did two years prior. <laughs> uh, probably not, because Basement no? Tapes are legendary, and they'd be less legendary if like, used them. All right, Bob, that's up to you. Here's C. <laughs> you go to Nashville. You make a 27-minute album of an extreme, air quotes, country record. While using a profoundly inexplicable crooner voice. Which do you do? <laughs> like the choice is clearly the last one. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Bob, you win again. You won in 1969 and you're winning now. <laughs> I got I to throw out there that in, in preparation for the show, I, yeah. did, uh, I did listen to this 27-minute album, Country Crooner album, which I thought was decent. It was, it was solid. I only gave it one listen. But, and but I, it was like my, my first... Like, I had two major thoughts. Thought number one was like, whoa, is that Johnny Cash? Which it clearly is in the title track. Or mm-hmm, not title track. Mm-hmm. The first track, the opening mm-hmm. track. My second drive, my second thought was, what the heck happened to uh, Dylan's voice? <laughs> it does not sound like it's him singing at all. Philosophers and regular people <laughs> like yourself have been asking that question <laughs> since of, it came out. Science. Now here's what's kind interesting. So he started off the year... Um, he got he got commissioned to write a song for the the movie Midnight Cowboy, which you might know okay. of a little I've bit. Seen, yeah, I've seen it a few times. It the song ended up being uh, oh bugger. Rain 
raindrops keep falling on my head. Not that one. Nope, that's not the one. That was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, I'm going where the sun keeps shining through the pouring rain. That one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway, huge hit. something in that same vein. That was number one. But uh, Bob Dylan wrote and performed Lay Lady Lay for it. And, oh, okay. Um, All right. He couldn't. He couldn't get it done in time, and also apparently he hated it. So he. Oh. Yes, and this is what's interesting because he came out on this song with that weird crooner voice. Uh-huh. And uh, he didn't like it, but he released it anyway, or somebody told him to. A hallmark of Dylan's and, uh, career at times. And it shot. It shot to number two on the charts. <laughs> It was a huge hit, one of his biggest hits to date, even amongst all of his big hits. <laughs> and so he was like, oh, hey, I need to go record an album using my weird crooner voice. <laughs> so he went, he went down to Nashville, and he had himself a good old time, used studio musicians down there. He had been to Nashville once before to record Blonde on Blonde. But yeah. Blonde on Blonde does not sound like anything like a country record. No, whatsoever. no, I have Blonde on Blonde. It's one of my, one of my two Dylan albums. Yeah, and uh, so he went down there, and he actually used some... He used some uh, some session musicians down there, um, including Charlie Daniels, who you might know from The Devil Went Down to Georgia fame. Maybe, okay. you, maybe you don't know that. That's fine. Didn't know the name, but, you know, know the name of the song, so. Well, The Devil Went Down to Georgia, something, something, something. Yeah, I, know. So, no, I know the song, I just didn't know the guy who made it. You know? Yeah, and he recorded a very short album um, called Nashville Skyline. And he released that out in the world. He also did some other things around these these recording sessions. He tried to record with Elvis. Okay. Uh, Elvis apparently wanted to do it because he had he had covered uh, Dylan before, just like everyone else. Okay. Um, but Colonel Tom Parker, who was his weird weird handler manager kind of a guy, uh, said no, uh-huh. that would be bad for him. He tried to record with Jerry Lee Lewis, who was there at the time. That and uh, weird, but okay, yeah, yeah. C- correct. These are kind of Dylan's heroes. There's a theme going on here. Jerry uh-huh. Lee Lewis apparently screamed at him, "No, that's it." That was how he <laughs> said no. Yeah. Um, he befriended Johnny Cash. Uh, yeah. He recorded about 18 um, pretty terrible demos with Johnny Cash. They kind of just sat down and played some songs until they ran out of songs to play um, okay. together. One of them being "Girl from the North Country," which is the first. The first song on Nashville Skyline, which is great. Um, we'll talk about it more in the points, but that shot to number three in the U.S., number one in in the United Kingdom, and uh, eventually went platinum. He released wow. three singles off of it, Lay, Lady, Lay, um, Tonight I'll Be Staying Here With You. Those two songs are generally considered the two best on the album, short as it okay. is. And then another one called I Threw It All Away. Which I like. I mean, I like this album. It's it holds a special place in my heart, certainly. Um, but it's kind of got mixed. It's got mixed. Uh, what mixed reviews amongst the culture, amongst history, because the people from the north, you know, um, his his usual fans, um, thought that it sounded like this treacly country and western record. They didn't know what yeah. to think of it or what to make of it. They were like, "Whoa, what yeah. is this?" And especially the voice really. Weirded everyone out. It threw me off. It but, didn't like. I was confused because I'm. I could hear Johnny Cash. I'm like thinking, you know, wait, do I click this wrong button on Spotify? Is this a weird Johnny Cash album? Yes. So I got to hold on. What's going on here? <laughs> I know I can hear Johnny Cash clearly, and there's this other dude, and I don't know who he is. And you were and like, Spotify. Was, was, what about Spot a Lie <laughs> to me? Is that what you said? What? <laughs> I wasn't listening. <laughs> 
obviously not. Uh, okay, so he does that. He does. He was on the first episode of the Johnny Cash Show. Um, okay. One of his first performances since his motorcycle accident. Right. Um, this year, let's see. When did the Isle of Wight Festival happen? Uh, that was that was later in the year. Um, I'll just talk about uh, well, two like three significant things happened for the rest of the year. One was a bootleg LP called "The Great White Wonder" started to surface. It was the very first successful bootleg. So this was oh. kind of like he started Napster. I mean, he didn't, but the people that <laughs> the people that bootlegged him started Napster basically in 1969. Um, sweet, it, sweet dated reference there, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, you know, it really ruined the music industry, buddy. Uh-huh. Think about it. Um, uh-huh. It was reviewed in Rolling Stone. It was sold in most uh, record shops throughout America. It was on the radio, you know. Okay. Dylan's, like, trying to get all these injunctions and stuff against everyone. Okay. That, I mean, was it just... Legally, they just hadn't figured all that out yet, what to do with that. They had no idea what to do. This was, I mean, it's kind of weird to think about, but that was new. Like, the bootleg bootleg industry was new. Like, people had been passing tapes or whatever. Uh Or passing... Did they have tapes? Selling bootleg tapes. Right. They weren't, like, producing them in a record plant and, like, sending them out for purchase. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that included some early home recordings that no one really knows how these people got a hold of. Do you you have this bootleg? No, no, I don't. I don't. I might try to get at some point. There's some old copies out there. I've yeah. heard them. Well, you probably can find it on YouTube or something. Yeah, correct. Uh, and then the other significant thing on that was that somebody got a hold of some of the basement tapes, finally. Okay. So they put that on there, too. And that was that was the thing that was of interest. Although those weren't recorded in 1969, that was like, whoa, what are these songs that we, you know, uh-huh. most of America had never heard before. Um, he went to his 10-year high school reunion in Hibbing, <laughs> in Hibbing, Minnesota, like as one of the most gigantic celebrities in the whole world. Uh, that was interesting. Um, his, Sweet. Nice one, Bob. Speaking da- as a Minnesota resident, yeah. we're glad to have you back, Bob. <laughs> You're glad to have him back in 1969. Many I don't years think... before I was born and many, many more years before I was <laughs> Uh, his, we never forget. Never his forget father passed away, which, Sad. of course, he did not talk about or think about um, that anyone could tell. I'm going to throw it right now. This is, this is Bowie's father also died in 1969. No way. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, people think that it affected Bob. People think that it made him more melancholy. It made him less. Um, he was also a family man, as I said. He, he ended right. up having five kids, which I didn't really wow. realize. With his first <laughs> wife. He had more later. We don't know. We'll talk about that in later years. Which one of the where, where does Jacob Dylan line up? Well, I'll tell you about genius of the Dylan family. I'll tell you about that. Well, Flowers frontman Jacob Dylan. I'll tell you about that in a couple minutes. He. Oh, okay. I can't wait. Okay, and then I don't want to talk about this too long, but this blew my mind. So, okay. Dylan had been living in Woodstock, New York, since 1964 or five. Okay. And it's where he retreated after his um, crazy tour in Europe, where everyone yelled Judas at him. Right, right, right. And he. He dedicated himself, you know, to being a, a family guy, and he he settled down there, and he stopped recording for a little bit, except for the basement tapes, which were just kind of him having fun with the band. Um, he hung out with people that also lived in Woodstock. It was this idyllic community in northern New York. Now you may you may remember it as most 
people would as the, well, sure. the site of the Woodstock. Isn't that 1969? Is that correct? That, that the year the festival so, was? so get this. So did he? Have, okay, you go. You go. You keep going. I need to tell you this. You're not going to. Yeah, t- I want to hear. I need to hear it. Why don't you stop talking <laughs> over me? Why don't you start talking? I'm over trying me? to talk to you. <laughs> Try to talk to you about Woodstock for once. The organizers put it in Woodstock because of Bob Dylan. I know that that is crazy. They did not know if he would show up. They hoped that he would. Uh-huh. They talked to him, and he repeatedly said, no, I will not do that. But they were like, uh, whatever. You know, We think like if we put it in your backyard, you'll make – this is just one of these many things that people thought that Dylan would do, that he was uh-huh. – that he repeatedly said, no, I'm never going to do that. Like I'm never going to go to another protest rally. I'm never going to do that. And they kept asking and asking and being mad at him uh-huh. continually for not doing that despite him uh-huh. saying, no, I will not do that. So he said, no, I despise music festivals. I'm not going to do that. They went ahead and had it. It became super, super famous. The same day that the, the festival started, he was on a boat to go to a festival in Europe. <laughs> and here's why. Now, people think like, no oh. in the air the entire voyage across the Atlantic. That's right. He's like, I want to get as far away from this festival as possible. I'm hundreds of miles away, but I'm still giving you the finger, just so you know. Correct. And here's why he gave them the finger. He did it because... Woodstock apparently famously paid very, very little to its participants. The Isle of Wight Festival, which was an island off of the coast of England, they paid him $50,000 in 1969 money to be the headliner. I went on the old Google machine. That's that's $350,000 in today's dollars. Correct. You speak the truth. It was his first public performance in three years. He did it with the band who um, supported him on the European tour and became the band uh, sometime after that. No, before that. I feel like we need to, like, you know, indicate with uh, some sound effects or something when you're talking about the band rather than just, you know, the band. Well, anytime I say anything about a band, I probably mean the band. You mean the band instead of a band? The band. Not a band. The band. Uh The, The band. I mean, I know the name was delivered. You know, they knew it was going to be confusing. They just went with it anyway. Yeah, they went with it, and it, uh, was it seemed profoundly uncreative and bad naming. Yeah, but they did it first. Somebody would have done it. Well, probably true. Hey, man, don't slag the band. <laughs> Not I'm just slagging their name. Now, this is a little bit of a mixed review on his performance at it. Um, it okay. Uh, apparently, it went great. I. I cannot find it on YouTube because Dylan and Columbia Records are really great about keeping his stuff off of there. Okay. Unfortunately for me. Um, but I wanted to hear it. He just, he sang in the crooner voice. He kind of, you know, he did some hits and some other songs from the new record, which was very popular, as I said. He played for exactly 50 minutes, which is what his contract said. And he just left. And then everyone was like, where's Dylan? Wait, you know. 50 minutes? 50. 5 zero. He's going to pay $1,000 a minute. That's what they said. That's what they were I mad get, about. I got to get myself a gig like that. Yeah, why don't you just, maybe you could just be Bob Dylan. I'm just going to become Bob Dylan really quick so I can make $1,000 a minute. Then I'll go back to being myself. Yeah, and then you just go back to Woodstock where, like, they trashed your town with the Woodstock <laughs> Festival. Where there's still piles of garbage all over my back. Yep, and uh, we'll talk in 1970 a little bit more about that. What uh, things looked like when they finally started cleaning up the garbage. Well... It wasn't just that, but during this year especially, because he moved, he moved at the end of the year to New York City, 
Okay. People had begun to, you know, pilgrimage there, and they ended up in his house. He found people. <laughs> he found people having sex in his bed one day. Oh, awesome! Awesome. So he was. Love, love he was a little that. bit. He was a little bit perturbed by the whole thing. Yeah, I think I would be too. He went there to for everyone to leave. Was, you know. He went there for everyone to leave him alone. He didn't, you know, invite anyone there. Uh, and then they just started showing up, which I think is a bit of a celebrity conundrum that has persisted yeah. throughout yeah. the years. So he was uh, he was that big of a celebrity, and so he moved to New York. And at the end of the year, oh, and he also played, uh, he jammed out with the Beatles at the Isle of Wight Festival, not during the concert, but like beforehand, uh, minus, wow. Paul, minus Paul McCartney. Apparently there's recordings somewhere, so I'm waiting for well, that bootleg series. That, yeah, yeah, that'd be, you know. That's crazy. That's, that's something. That's something right there. That's something. Who knows what that's it is? Wild. Except that Paul McCartney wasn't there. What does that mean? He was dead. That's what it meant. <laughs> Paul's dead. It, Paul's man, dead, man. I reversed it backwards, and then I reversed it again. It's somewhere Mor- in there. Mourn him, mourn I him. I definitely heard Paul is dead. Paul mourn is mourn dead. Him. Number nine. Yeah. Number nine. Number nine. Paul's dead. Mourn him, mourn him. <laughs> and at the end of the yeah. year, December 9th, yeah. Dylan... Bob, that is, made his greatest contribution to musical culture. His <laughs> wife, Sarah, gave birth to Jacob Dylan. He closed <laughs> out the year with a real bang, and he, when he saw Jacob, he said, boy, that guy's going to briefly outsell me in 1995. <laughs> Just also, briefly. That means Jacob Dylan's almost 50. Gosh, is that right? He well, seems so youthful. He's a beautiful man. <laughs> Jake tells how you really feel. <laughs> well, he's good looking. <laughs> and his eyes are great because he's always driving around with one headlight. That's all I know. Oh, Ooh. Man, you couldn't resist it, could you? That's right. Oh, oh take you a shower. My stomach right now. Take a shower. All right, you ready right. to talk about Bowie? What the people are obviously asking, clamoring for. Anybody listening to this right now? Wait a minute. You're going to talk about David Bowie? No, Jake. Are you done with Dylan? It was fascinating, but we're all ready to move on. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) All right. I was done. Picture this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. Bo, you know, Dylan by 69 has already, like, had a giant peak in popularity and then, like, went down and had another one. He's already had, like, his fourth peak of popularity and making comeback albums and study of stuff already. Yeah. Whereas the 69, Bowie is just barely getting started. Yeah, he managed to squeak out a fairly bad album in 1967. Um, he spent 1968 having no clue what he was doing and trying. Like, he, he just seemed to like want to be famous, but didn't really seem to care how and wasn't sure how it was going to work out. So trying a little bit of everything. So 1968, he kind of spends like the year doing all kinds of stuff. He's uh, you know, he's still doing singing and you know, doing music and stuff. He's also trying to like become a songwriter. Mm. This is one of his viable career options at the time, is writing songs for other people. So he's writing like a million songs and sending them out to all kinds of artists. He probably sent one out to Bob Dylan at some point, I'm just going to assume. And, uh, and most of them get turned down. Anybody worth listening to, like, you know, they, they don't care. I mean, I don't know how many songs he sent to Peter, Paul, and Mary, for instance. <laughs> and they uh, refuse to record any of the songs. Wow. So doing that, he's, uh, he's trying to break into acting. He's getting into a bunch of stuff like that. I'll talk to him more in a second. He was in 1968 trying really hard to get his own cabaret show going because for some reason in 1968 when you're you're David Bowie, that's something you try to do. He's doing poetry (laughs) and stuff. And most notably or most like what the heck are we talking about right now? He was really doing a lot of mime in 1968. What? 
I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. Yes, mine. A whole bunch of mine. Can you demonstrate his miming on a podcast? You know, I wish I could. I have not been able to find any footage of, at least not from 1969, of him doing wow, any. Well, I guess I found a little bit, but not a lot. But he was you know, straight up, you know, Marcel Marcel style mime. Wait, I have a quick question. Maybe a little more avant-garde. But. I have a quick question for you. Yeah, yeah. If go. he had somehow become famous for being a cabaret star and a mime artist, do you think it uh-huh. would have kind of been like being John Malkovich, where like he was the foremost mime artist of the world? <laughs> Probably not. No. I'm not sure, like, if it weren't for this initial, like, years of unsuccess, there's all kinds of speculation about what would happen if this one tiny thing over here had happened right, or what this sure. thing over here had happened right, or what, how, you know, what we'd have done with this. There was at one point in, oh gosh, I can't remember if it was in 68 or 69, he was, like, had, like, a kind of competing managers. He had a manager go to the States and was trying to get him a better record deal for a second album and stuff. And, uh, and the guy, oh, shoot. I can't remember if it was 68 or 69, but it's a good story. It's from it anyway. He was, uh, he was released from his first contract after his first album didn't do very well. They were like, well, that, yeah, that's it. You suck. So he, was looking at a, <laughs> he was looking at a different contract and, uh, and he's offered, you know, something like a thousand pounds for this next contract, which is not very much, but he was a nobody. So, you know, whatever. Um, and his manager's like, no, let's not do it. No, no, let's not do it. But he kind of had like competing managers. Two different guys were trying to be his mentor and manager at the time. So his main manager went to the States, was talking to people over there, scored him the sweet deal for $30,000. So, you know, wow. quite a bit better than the 1,000-pound deal he had before. And was like, hey, that's great. Take it back to the States. Get, get uh, David's signature on this. You know, we're loving this. While he was gone, this other uh, manager signed a deal for 500 pounds. 500? And th- thus invalidating this $30,000 deal. Oh, no. The $30,000 deal would have basically guaranteed that Bowie would have moved ahead with what he was planning for a second album, which would have been more of the same as the first album. Oh. And there's a good chance he would have found success in that van and not moved into you know, all the important cities. There's all kinds of stories like this in his early okay. career so, of what if this had happened, what if he'd gotten this little success here, would he have ever made I it see. to Ziggy Stardust, for, you know, which is his true explosion. Of course. So there's, you know, there's all kinds of like what ifs, you know, tantalizing what ifs about how horrible his career could have been instead. Um, going along with that vein, he, he, uh, we, I was trying to get into acting and there were a couple things that came up in there. Towards the end of 68, he was trying really hard to get into a movie called Virgin Soldiers. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know. I don't, and actually I didn't watch it cause he's barely in it, but, um, he, uh, apparently it's very well reviewed. It's, it's like kind of a minor classic or something. Oh, sure. Um, and so he's campaigning very hard to get the lead role in this to the point where he cut his hair down to a, you know, a military hairdo. Wow. Uh, big change from his, you know, flowing locks from earlier. Of course. Yeah. At the end of 68, he was in, and into 69, he was in this group called Turquoise, which was him and his girlfriend, Hermione, Hermione Fothering Gale, which we can just enjoy the incredible Britishness of that name that right there. That is amazing. Hermione Fothering Gale. And, uh, and some other dude whose name I don't remember. And uh, they were doing all kinds of different stuff. They're doing mime and, and, and cabaret and songs and poetry and stuff on stage. A multimedia group. And then uh, the other dude dropped out. And then our old pal, uh, Hutch, John Hutching. Oh, shoot. I remember Hutchinson, Hutchington. I'm forgetting. Everyone just called him Hutch. Okay. You know, and that kind of seems to sum up this dude. He's kind of a, he's kind of a Hutch kind of guy. He's kind of always around, not doing that much. Just, just hutching it up. Um, <laughs> I always called him Hutch, by the way. Just Hutch, you know? So 
Hey, Hutch, how, how's it hanging, Hutch? So when we get in here, then there's all these different threads of these things he was trying to do to see which one was going to stick and which one was going to you know, like get him enough money to pay his rent this month and all this stuff. So he, in early 69, he was in a commercial for Love Ice Cream. Uh, an ice, an ice lolly, <laughs> which for us Yanks would be a popsicle. <laughs> but over there, an ice lolly. It's this really weird, I found it online. It's okay. this really weird, you know, 30 second com- commercial. Famously directed by a young Ridley Scott. What? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's another one of the things, weird things with Bowie's early career is these connections to these people who later went on to do amazing things. Like, oh, just they're all over the place. Can, Can I interrupt for a second? Frampton? Yeah, go. Sorry. Uh, when Dylan recorded Nashville Skyline um, yeah. at the recording studio in Nashville, Chris Christofferson was the janitor there. That is now, all. See, stuff go like on. that. Stuff like that. I know. Isn't that crazy? Like, uh-huh. All right. Go ahead. Like Bo- Bowie, uh, he went to school with Peter Frampton. Like, they, they were pals in school. They were and, mates. Uh, Bowie's Hello, first Peter. Single, Hello, David. The session, the session guitarist in his first single was Jimmy Page. Oh, I think I knew that. <laughs> it's just it's all these crazy, weird little connections. It's like a that. small Anyhow, world. So, the Ice Lolly commercial, which you barely <laughs> recognize him in. Then they went into, uh, early in the year, they were filming this. Like, his manager was really trying to, like, put together this showcase and just get Bowie out there. So his plan was to create a TV special about Bowie and, uh, and then shop it around to the networks and get them to show it and then launch his career. Like his, his manager was working really hard and had these, these ideas. Sure. So they basically made, like, a half an hour, like, special, TV special about Bowie. It's basically all, like, uh, music videos. Of him from the period. Wow. So they put together this collection of, like, some of the songs from his 1967 album and some new songs, and some of them he re-recorded, um, and then they were filming this, the first thing in 67. Now, one of the interesting <laughs> things about you, when you find this and look online is uh, he had cut his hair into a military hairdo to try to be in this movie, which he did not get the lead part in. Sure. So he's wearing a wig through the entire special. Oh, Really? It's not super noticeable until you realize that, and then you can't look at anything else <laughs> this way. You cannot look away. You cannot look away. So, they did this. Um, one of the most interesting things about the special, that, that I should say that it was never picked up. Nobody wanted it. Like, they made the whole thing, and I think it was pretty expensive for the poor manager. The guy, like, uh, it really went on a limb, and it did not pay off right then. Mm-hmm. Um, so they shopped it around. Nobody wanted it. Now, one of the interesting, most interesting things about this, because there's several songs in there. There are a couple of mime pieces on there. I couldn't find the main one. There's what? one, a famous one called The Mask, in which uh, he tries on a bunch of different masks and then realizes the mask doesn't come off, which Uh-oh. everyone sees as a giant metaphor for him and her big Ziggy Stardust personas sure. and other personas later on, and his obsessions with fame and all kinds of stuff like that. But we're kind of in the, the uh, 11th hour. They're like, hey, we need one more song. Can you uh, quick, like, just write a new song that's going to be like a really big, you know, ender, closer, that's really going to show us the power and what we're going forward, you know, that really gave us the taste of Dave Bowie. To his credit, he, uh, he wrote Space Out of Okay. <laughs> that was one. the one, that was the song he came, he came up with it for the TV special. And so they, he did an original recording for that. Um, he recorded it again later on. But, so that's this Love You Till Tuesday was the name of the special. We're now the name of one of the songs in there. So it wasn't actually ever released until 1984, so it's not up for any points in this year, because it was, was not released in 1969. It was released on VHS in 84, 
finally released on DVD in 2005. Wow. In the UK only. I do not have a copy of this. Oh, you need because, one. Because uh, it was one of those things that was fine, kind of expensive. Yeah. I was figured I'd buy one day, and then he died, and now it's like $300. So oh. I'll wait till somebody reissues it again, and I'll probably buy it some Yeah, point. they'll do that. They'll do it. I found about half of it online. I found all of the audio. I found about half of the video online, so I got a taste of it. So then, later in the year, Virgin Soldiers came out in October. He okay. is in the movie in a cameo role. Literally less than two seconds. So mm-hmm. I found that clip online. He's, uh, the, the, uh, presumably the Virgin Soldiers of the title are in a bar, hanging out. And uh, this drunk, the passed out drunk soldier gets uh, carried across somebody's shoulder, or kind of carried across behind them. That's Bowie. He's... <laughs> It's just being carried across in the background of one scene. Hey, man, a star-making it's performance. It's his movie debut. All right. The first movie he was ever in. Well, kind of. The first uh, feature theatrical film he was ever in. Oh, two seconds of his appearance. It was great. Now, do you think, okay. that, he, do you think that he used that experience to make Labyrinth later? <laughs> oh, yeah, he drew back on the experience Definitely. so hard. I can see that. He mimed his performance. He was wearing, he was wearing tights and a giant... Uh, <laughs> um, piece underneath, underneath those, those army issue treasures. Yeah, he was, no doubt. He was totally a virgin. Everyone knew it. <laughs> Bowie was anything but oh, a virgin. <laughs> Let me tell you. All right, move on. stories are true. He move on. journey like 10,000 times. Move um, on. So, okay, so we're going into this. After this, he uh, he broke up with Hermione Father and Gale. Okay, I got a question. He this. Yeah. Sorry, I have so many questions. Did he write the song for her before or after he broke up with her? The song for Hermione? Yeah. Where to get to it? Okay. No, just, just wait, just Sorry. wait. Yeah. Um, and Hermione Father and Gail is like, she's one of these figures, she's kind of like a rosebud type figure in his life, that just kind of things go back to her pretty often. She's like his great lost love from early in life. And it was not very long after that that he met Angela, um... I don't remember her maiden name. Angela, but he ends up marrying Angela Bowie, and they have a kid together. That's oh, wow. his first wife. Okay. And that's, he, he only, they gets together with it just a few months after he meets, after he uh, breaks up with Hermione. But he talks about Hermione in veiled terms, and it comes up again a lot of times throughout the years. Oh, boy. As late as, like, him wearing a t-shirt that references her in a video in 2013 or something. Wow. Like, I mean, he was a very much, like, self mythologizing so he just you know he'd, he'd go back to all this stuff on purpose just to mess with people yeah of course but she kept showing up throughout um and most actively she is directly referenced in two songs on his album from 1969 which we'll get to in a minute okay so in the meantime she's out which means their little uh, multimedia group is done but hutch good old hutch is still around thanks hutch. and so bowie and hutch kind of decide to be uh just rip off Simon and Garfunkel super hard. <laughs> um, and they create a 10 track demo to shop around a little bit of them just being Simon and Garfunkel super hard. That's crazy. Without actually playing those songs. And so I found this, this is online. I found the, uh, the whole thing. It's interesting, but it's really, it's really that brand of folky. Yeah. And so Bowie clearly sees himself as Simon, whether or not Hutch was actually doing the arrangements or, arrangements or just singing in the background. It's hard to say, but you know, we got it. There's a lot of songs in there. So there's another version of Space Oddity in that demo. Ooh. There's a bunch of there are a bunch of versions of Space Oddity before it's actually officially released, officially recorded. And this uh, this demo does manage to get Bowie signed. Although good old Hodge by that time had given up to trying to become a musician and like went back home to work in the coal factory or something. I don't <laughs> coal coal factory a thing. Coal mines, I think is what I meant to say. I know he goes he seriously goes back to live with his parents. I mean, you gotta keep in mind all these guys are like twenty 
at the time. So, you know, this is he, something you still do. He could have been Mick if he played his cards right. <laughs> well, maybe if his name had been Mick, that might have helped him out. Yeah, he should have changed it you to know? Mick. His <laughs> Hutch is what was really bringing him down. Probably. I mean, that's pretty catchy. I don't know. Poor old Hutch. Come on, Hutch. Come on. Do you think Hutch just punches himself in the face every day? <laughs> For not sticking Hutch with Bowie. Right now. I think he's still alive. I'm pretty sure. I know Hermione Fothergale is. Uh, so they <laughs> did that. So then Bowie manages to get this deal, and he, uh, he Space Oddity is released as a single and becomes a massive hit. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he releases an album with it as the first track. Yeah. Very, very confusingly, it's called David Bowie. Yes. The album that is. <laughs> which makes it super confusing because his 1967 album is also called David Bowie. But also, so two self-titled albums in two years. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. But also, America, it's now it known called... as Space Oddity, right? What's that? Now it's known as Space Oddity. Most often. It, it originally was released in the UK as David Bowie. It was released in America as Man of Words, Man of Music. Oh, great. Which is a terrible title. That's I know, horrible. like, it's just, you got a picture from that title, don't you, of this, like, folky. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. That's a folky, really well, Simon Garfunkel type. Which the album isn't exactly, it's on its way. And then when it was re-released in 72 in the wake of the giant Ziggy Stardust stardom, it was called Space Oddity. Okay. And it's been called Space Oddity until about two years ago. It's been now reverted to Dead Boy, I guess. Oh my goodness so, gracious. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> For my purposes, I'm going to refer to it as Space Oddity throughout this, the album. Yes, okay? please do. It's easier. Yeah, yeah. But that's what's going on. I'm with you. So, other things going on that year. He did not tour exactly. He did do a few uh, TV specials, like he managed to get in a few specials. All of them, he plays Space Oddity, every single one. Yeah. Um, and he gets a, a session on the BBC where he does not play Space Oddity for some reason. Um, he does, in spite of the fact that he is not touring exactly, because he's not big enough to tour, he plays over 75 shows in 1969. Wow. All pretty much local. He moved to this London suburb called Beckenham and started uh, what's called an art slab. <laughs> All this is very, very 1969. Yeah. And Arts Lab apparently was just a bunch of, you know, young artsy folks doing young artsy things together and putting on shows and stuff. And uh, the story of them mostly goes that one or two people are super excited about it. They got this thing rolling and they just think everyone else is going to come in and help out. And then they get kind of jealous because they're pretty much doing the whole thing all the time. And then it kind of peters out. And that's exactly the story that happened with Beckingham with Bowie as one of the people who was doing everything. Got it. So he plays this... Uh, a show in this pub in Beckenham, the suburb of London, like 30 Sundays in a row or something. Wow. Because that's just what you do in an arts lab, apparently. So that was going down. Uh, he also did, he opened for the glam rock band T-Rex. Whoa, with nice. Mark, with Mark Bullen. T-Rex is rad. Yeah, well, and like Mark, he, and, he and Mark Bullen had a major, like they were major frenemies. Okay. Throughout the early 70s. Because they both were like the big, they're the two major glam people. And of course, yeah. Bowie surpassed him. But Bullen was there first. Bullen was doing this stuff earlier. So, I mean, Bowie opened for T Rex, but he didn't open by doing music. He opened with mime. <laughs> and it comes full circle. And it comes full circle. And there was some speculation in one of the sources, like, I don't remember which one, that maybe that was like Mark Bullen's way of like kind of sticking it to Bowie. <laughs> They uh, have to open it. Wow. But with mime. Let's have you do some mime instead. <laughs> I think... Hard to say. I think maybe they should have had a mime off. Like A mime off? That would have been sweet. Like they could have come on, you know, to the stage from, you know, stage left and stage right and just tried to out-mime each other. <laughs> I 
don't know, Bolin would have just rocked it instead because he could do that at that point. Um, yeah, he was. So my yeah. final point on this is I feel like I need a, a reoccurring feature okay. in my urine full for Bowie. Okay. Just called the urine Bowie's hair. Oh, yeah, that's great. You know, and how bad was it? Okay. Because I love me some Bowie. So are you, are you rating this or are you a, describing such it? Such a dazzling array of horrible hairstyles. Oh, it's amazing. His, his life. It's just really impressive. So this year we, we started out with, yes, the hidden military cut. Yeah. Underneath the wig that was like kind of a 60s Mahdi, you know, like Beatles-y haircut. He grew it out into a maybe Dylan-esque. Yep, definitely like, Dylan-esque. White boy perm. But it was, you know, honestly permed though, and kind of big, kind of a bubble perm, big and puffy, bigger than bigger than Dylan's. And uh, it was, you know, not yeah. as bad as many of his haircuts. No, <laughs> Maybe to we'll be just honest, leave it at that. We'll just leave it at that, and we'll just let it go from there. Hey, that's fine. All right, I feel like we're going kind of long in the show today. We are. We? We are. So let's get to the points. You have. Let's uh, get to the points. We have presented our cases, so let's get to the points. So <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and give Nashville skyline. Um, I think I probably described. Did I describe it well enough before? It's like I think you did. Okay, country it just, country crooning. It's country crooning, but away. but it also has a really really weird reputation because it was so popular that yeah. he lost so many of his hardcore fans when he put this thing out. Like people yeah. were like, "What is?" How this? many albums did he release that that like alienated all of his hardcore fans? Up until that point, none. Oh, not even when he went you know, electric. No, because the albums weren't the problem. It was his live shows. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm sure that he alienated some of his folky people with his albums, oh, sure. but it was mostly his his live shows, which set everyone okay. a Twitter. Um, hey, I should we yeah. should mention quick about our point system again for oh, the, yeah, the listeners do. at home. We have a really elaborate, overly complicated point system. It's great. Where we get points based on the things they do, including albums and singles and videos and all kinds of junk. It's a system that involves negative points to positive points. So if they release something really bad, it actually takes points away from them. So that that's about as much as I need to that's get into correct. it. That's correct. That enough? Okay. And I also want to add that um, you know, at various things throughout the year can gain or lose them points. Oh yeah, we're that very are sort open of, to just sort giving of points somewhat arbitrarily. Correct. Correct. All kinds and of I have I'll, at, at our own at our own discretion, but we discuss them ahead of time. You'll see what I mean in a minute because I'm giving okay, out at least a one. couple arbitrary points for okay. Dylan this year. Sweet. Okay, Sounds but great. for the album. Because it, it receives such mixed reviews. I love it. I don't think it's in my top ten, but I have definitely like loved this album You know, throughout my life. It is very slight. It's very laid back. People got mad at him for writing, writing love songs and not like... <laughs> How dare you. You know, because he was up until that How point... How dare you be happy. Exactly. He was up until that point like a master at the takedown relationship song. Yeah, like, yeah. He just cut, like, like cut people. Like Taylor Swift. Oh, wait. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Swift was a huge influence on Bob Dylan. Everyone has. Uh, obviously. Taylor Swift gets like 11 points this episode. <laughs> um, people long before she was born. People, depending on the biography you read, he was either going to sort of pay tribute to some of his old heroes, you know, some of these old country guys, or he had major writer's block and he didn't know what else to do. <laughs> It's one one. of the two. He did go either way. You know, he point. You know, people vacillate. The voice thing. He gave a jokey interview with Rolling Stone saying that he quit smoking and that's why his voice sounded like that now. It was clearly clearly a joke, but everyone was like, "Oh yeah, that's why." (laughs) Even though he went back to his normal singing voice the next year, like 
Um, so it's just a weird album. It's a weird little entry in his catalog. It's kind of inconsequential, but it was hugely popular and, you know, generally well-liked. And so I'm giving it a plus two. Plus two, solid. Solid. Okay, so he gets a plus two. I am um, giving him plus one for having Woodstock be at his place, even though he didn't go. <laughs> I mean, it's a giant cultural institution that he inspired without wanting to. Exactly. And he I, just, feel like, I feel like he deserves it. Yeah. All right, all right. We're in agreement. I'm giving him plus one for the Great White Wonder, the first official bootleg. Yeah, the first major fair. bootleg. Um, his music on it was obviously the reason why it was successful, even though, of course, he didn't want it to exist. Um, I'm giving him plus one for the Isle of Wight because he came roaring back after three years of uh, no, no, no concerts. People weren't sure what was going to happen with that. And it wasn't overwhelmingly positive, but it was positive. And then he released three singles. One was Lay Lady Lay, which I'm giving plus one to. It's one of his most popular songs ever. Yep, yep, tonight, tonight I'll be staying here with you, which is widely considered the second best, um, one of the only like truly great songs on the album. Okay. Um, so I'm going to give that plus one, and then I'm going to give a zero to his third one, which is I threw it all away, which is fine, but it's it's not a negative. So yeah, I'm coming yeah. up, Solid. I'm Solid. coming up with uh, three, four, five. I'm coming up with a plus seven for Dylan for 1969. Ooh, in. Pretty yeah. strong there. Pretty strong year all for right. him. All right. Let's take a look at it. Let's shake down Bowie here. All right. So we got the uh, David Bowie slash Man of Words, Man of Music slash Space Oddity album. <laughs> yes. Um, which is a solid album. It's his first you know album that anybody really cares about. It's light years ahead of his 1967 album, but it's not an amazing album. Um, there's a great deal of debate over what his first essential album is, if it's this one or if it's the following year, it's uh, The Man of Still the World. Okay. Um, it's an interesting kind of folky-ish album, but not full down as folky as a lot of people think. I, I think it's arguably his most Dylan-esque album. Yes. Dylan is definitely one of his biggest influences on this album. I listen to um, it and I concur. He, there's some interesting things. Yeah, we talked about the Hermione, Father, and Gale songs. One of them, which is called Dear Hermione, is like, hey, you broke up with me, but uh, maybe you want to get back together? Like, that's the whole song. And he calls her by name in the title. <laughs> Great. Super. And, you know, now we're still listening to this, you know, 50 years later. Poor Hermione, wherever she is right now. Oh, Hermione. Um, but actually, that song is a decent song. It's one, one, of, the more, one of the more folky terms. Yeah, I like so he kind of goes over it. He tries out a, a bunch of different Dylan styles, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> he tries out some pretty straight folk, but he tries a little bit more different stuff. I don't know. He, he rocks Space out Oddity. a little bit. He does rock out a little bit. Space Oddity, the song, is really the only essential classic track on it's the album. It's an amazing song. It's an amazing song. Uh, it's got a sweet Victor Vasserly cover, which is a pretty famous op artist, which they've stuck Bowie's head on top of for some reason. Um, so we got to go on. I give it a one. I give it a okay. one point. Plus one. It's you know, it's it's not it's not amazing, but it's it's solid. It's decent. It's it's definitely not negative. No question on that one. Yeah, love it. Um, then we go to single. He only had one single that year, and it was based on. All right. He just barely avoided a second single, which was an Italian version of Space Oddity. <laughs> wait, with bated, wait to bated breath till we get to 1970 and unearth that gem. That's a plus six. Um, <laughs> so some fun facts about Space Oddity. Space Oddity was recorded two other times beforehand, which I already mentioned. Once for that uh, Love You Till Tuesday video, once on the uh, Bowie and Hutch 10-track uh, demo. They recorded it again on June 20th. It was released. So he recorded it on June 20th. It was released on July 11th. What? Let that sink in right there. That's crazy. 21 days after it was recorded, it was in record shops. And to be clear, to be clear, there wasn't like Spotify back then. 
They were in the Spotify, right. no. <laughs> okay. And then Apollo 11, the you know, first trip to the moon, was on July 16th. Oh, that's why. Which is why they, they rushed, released it to try oh, to capitalize that's on Which, and so Bowie got accused a lot of this just being like a novelty single, like, yeah. uh, you know, it's got nothing to do with this. He's just trying to take advantage of it. The song had been written, you know, his first recording of it was like 10 months before that or something. This wasn't rushed, like him just trying to write a song about the moon really quick to capitalize on it. But his record company was not against trying to capitalize on it. Now, no. of course, if you've listened to the lyrics even once, you know it's not like a happy, rosy picture about going no, to the moon. No, not at all. Major Tom gets, like, lost in space, and, you know, and he, that's And he misses his wife a lot. Well, yeah, you know. And there's nothing he can do. That wife I love her very much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For he... Am I um, sitting on a tin can? can. Far above the world. Um, it's a very melancholy song, but it's yeah. about space, vaguely. We got like a punning title on Space uh, Odyssey. Right. Space Odyssey, which should come out, what year did that come out? 67? I want to say the movie came out recently. Um, so it came off as kind of gimmicky. Interestingly, the, uh, the producer of the entire album, Tony Visconti, who is a name that shows up over and over and over again in Bowie's career, and is yeah. I think it's officially his most frequent collaborator through the years. Yeah, he, he does. A, his, he, he did other things his, his last, He produced his last album. Like they they come back together, like go apart and come together throughout Bowie's career. He'll okay. show up again. Okay. Um, Visconti refused to produce the song Space Editing. <laughs> Good ear he had. He was like, uh, "This is so gimmicky," and like, "No, you don't think you should do this one. Uh, I'll do, I'll do the rest of the album." The guy's like, you know, 23 or something, know, making choices like this. So they had someone else to produce the song. Antonio Visconti produced the rest of the album. Okay. So, good one. Way good to one, go, Tony. Tony. Um, but the song is so iconic. Bowie himself revisits it. You know, he does like a sequel of sorts and another giant hit, Ashes to Ashes, for 1980. Right. In which he name checks Major Tom. Um, it's just become so iconic and everything. So, with that in mind, I'm, I'm giving it full points, for sure, which on single is only one, but you and I talked ahead of time. This is such an iconic, such an important song. Right. I'm giving it a bonus point. He's getting two songs for yep. this, two points for this one. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. We'll do this from time to time. Not very often, but from no, time to no, time. No, no, but this is a, it's a special song. Yeah. Um, Virgin Soldiers, the movie is in. That's not ethical. He's in it for two seconds. That doesn't count toward anything. Right. Uh, Love You Till Tuesday, his like TV special that didn't get picked up, was not actually released to the public until 1984 for the first time. All so right. no points now. We say that. As for his tour of sorts, you know, like I said, he he played over 75 shows. Yeah, I did find recordings from some of them, and they're okay. I don't think it's worth any points. Okay, it's not worth taking any away points. He's young. He's hungry. He's out there. It wasn't a real tour and, or anything. And no, and he's miming it up for T Rex. Uh, <laughs> oh man. That's great. <laughs> That's it. great. <laughs> but uh, I, it's not worth any points. So that leaves us at the end with a lowly three points. That's not lowly. Below. I, I I would like to point out. Yeah. Know, now Dylan is winning. Fair, fair, fair. Um, I was on. Uh, was that website you're just talking about? Best albums ever, or whatever it is. Yep. And oh, Space yeah. Odyssey far outranks Nashville Skyline. It does. It's true. But it's just because of the song. It is. You know, people like, like, it's, the song is so good, and the album is decent, but the song is so great that they can't separate the two of them. Right. And, and really, they should. And Dylan the managed... does not deserve to be long on a best of, a best of thing for 69. It just, just doesn't. And Dylan managed to do that thing, which he, which he did so often, you know, throughout his, the first major chunk of his career. He somehow made something weird, 
and like nonsensical, he made it kind of a good album. Like it pulled together yeah. somehow. So you don't yeah. think of any song besides Lay Lady Lay off of it. Mm-hmm. And you certainly don't think like, oh, none of these are as good as Space Oddity. But you think more fondly of that album than you do of that particular David Bowie album, for whatever reason. Yeah. It's kind of a, an alchemy he has on that one. Well, you know, and Bowie and Dylan both do that several times throughout for their sure. careers. For like sure. somehow make these albums that don't make sense and shouldn't work, and they do. Yeah, it, They're precisely. both kind of kings of that. So that leaves us, yes, with a victory for Bob Dylan. A victory for Bob Dylan. Sorry. Okay. Right. Wah, wah. Right. I thought, whatever. you know. Whatever. The 60s are going to be Dylan and the 70s for the most part. It's a Bob Killen. We don't have to do that, by the way. (laughs) If you hate it. You seem pretty excited about it. I was, but now I'm not because you hate it. It's fine. (laughs) No, I didn't say hate it. I just said I wanted to make fun of you about it. You can make fun of me about it. You know what? uh, So would you call it a glowy or a blowy? I think it's just a Bowie. It's not really either one. Okay, all right, just a Bowie. I mean, it, in in the history of Bowie, it's a clearly a glowy year. Like, this is a big year for him. Space Oddity is his first big hit. Yeah. It, like, takes him forward from this. If this if it completely changed on this album again, I'm not sure he would have gotten another contract or it would have been very difficult to get one. Right. This, like, sustained him for the next three years until he really hit a giant with Star- Ziggy Stardust and made his way, made him able to uh, create the amazing albums in between, too. Right. The next 12 albums he produces after this are all... Just awesome. Smoking. Just, just great. Just so good. Smoking. Except for pinups. We'll tell you about that later. All right. So next, What's next? Uh, show is going to be 1997. Ooh, Jumping things daddy. out of any kind of classic era for either one of the artists. And looking at the uh, the aligned 90s for the two of them, which I think were, for both of them were kind of a comeback decade. Oh, big time. But uh, we'll get into that yeah, after the... the pitiful lows of the 80s on yeah both that's fine but i'm uh, looking forward to it so until next time uh stay bowie that was a terrible tagline <laughs> you anything if you do anything better uh bobby killing <laughs> that one was even worse that was the best oh, we just one. say goodbye and good luck